Welcome to the Heartbeat Church Podcast. Our vision is for people to live in the image God intended them to be in. For more information visit heartbeatchurch.org.au There's the old three rule. Human beings can survive three minutes without air, approximately three days without water, and three weeks without food. See, food and water, they're necessary for our survival. They're something that we depend on completely. And it's interesting that Les mentioned that God, in his wisdom, created music that's so diverse. But what's also interesting that God, in his wisdom, created food to be very good. And see, God did not simply just create one type of food. He created many. For as Genesis chapter 1 from verse 11 tells us, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. Food is not boring. Food is not bland. There is such a rich diversity in the food that God has given us. There's not one type of fruit. There's thousands of types of fruits and vegetables. And the food that we consume, it's a testimony. It's a reminder of God's goodness to us. And since the original garden was a place of abundance, it made sense that food was readily available for Adam and Eve. And that's part of the curse we live in, is that food that was once free and available is now difficult and expensive to find. The ground is now cursed, and it's through painful toil and lots of heartache that it's produced and harvested. However, despite the difficulties in acquiring food, food still plays such a significant role, not in just our survival, but in our socialisation. Think about how many of life's most important moments revolve around food. Think of your biggest moments, weddings, birthdays, celebrations, even funerals. What is one of the key aspects that binds them together? Food. What are we going to do after church? We're going to eat food. If you ever go to a barbecue, where do you find all the men? We're hanging around the barbecue waiting for the meat to be cooked because we want food. Food is not just merely about survival, about combating sickness, improving muscle mass, or giving energy levels. Food is a way that makes us human. But food also isn't just about survival and socialization. There's, there's festivals and religious celebrations that are part of the salvation redemptive narrative of God. For the very creation itself is meant to remind us of God's gracious provision. And it's very interesting that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, on the fourth day of creation, it tells us, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. 
Uh, one commentator, L. Michael Morales, in his study on Leviticus, he notes the significance of those two words that I've put in brackets there, more, which is light. And that is and it's later used to describe the lights in the tabernacle. And that other word there, more, dim, which is used in other contexts to describe religious festivals or events. See, what's interesting here, when God created the world, the lights in the sky, the times and the seasons, they're there to remind us of times where we are to celebrate. The sky, the moon and the stars, they're a visible call that when at certain points of the year we see the stars or, or the moon or the sun in this position, this is when we celebrate. This is when we worship God. And when it came to the tabernacle and the temple, they were merely a miniaturized version of heaven. The lights in the temple and the tabernacle were to remind the Israelites that this world was created as a testimony to remind us to worship God. So with the idea in mind, when you look up into the sky, at certain points of the year, you are reminded that these are, there are sacred seasons to worship God. And these significant moments, they were connected with food. One of the greatest celebrations in the Israelite tradition was the Passover, which was where the Passover lamb was eaten. And not only was the Passover lamb eaten as a reminder of the Israelites' escape from Egypt, it also was connected to the barley harvest, a reminder of that time of year. The second celebration was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which happened when the Israelites only ate bread for seven days. They did not have yeast within it to remind them of the haste they had to escape. Another important celebration was Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, which happened seven, seven weeks or 50 days after the Passover. And it was a reminder of when God brought the Torah to Mount Sinai, but are also correlated with the wheat harvest. And another important celebration was the festival of booths or tabernacles. And it was to remind the Israelites of their time spent wandering in the wilderness, but also correlated with the time of the grape harvest. So each of these important celebrations in the Israelite history, it not only identified them as Yahweh's people, it not only pointed them to special times when they were saved, special moments in their history as a people, also reminded them of food. So if food is an important aspect of worship, what does fasting represent? Now, the Hebrew word for fasting simply means to abstain from food for religious purposes. It's a very, very simple definition. See, if feasting represents celebration and worshipping God for what he has done, what does fasting represent? See, fasting represents the opposite. Fasting identifies that something is wrong and the situation needs to be rectified. See, at a deeper level, fasting also represents this element of self-control and discipline. One commentator, Thomas Brody, in his work on Genesis, he notes, among human needs and activities, eating is fundamental. 
thus making it a suitable representative for human conduct in general. That's a very, very interesting statement to make. That food is, because of its, its importance in our life, it should be used as a way to control our behaviour. Now, those who aren't even familiar with the Old Testament will know that there are some wacky food laws in there, certain animals that, and meat that was not meant to be eaten. And while commentators aren't too sure what all these strict food laws represent, it points this idea of self-discipline. That if you want to be a holy person before God, the type of food you eat, it has to be controlled so you just do not gorge on whatever you want. And that connects all the way back into the garden. For as another commentator, Nahum Sam comments in regards to the tree of knowledge and evil, that man is called to exercise self-restraint and self-discipline in regards to his appetites. See, food is fundamental to our survival, to our socialization, to our worship. Therefore, it needs to be carefully controlled. And it's these limitations on food which set the Israelites apart. Not eating certain food, eating only kosher food, sanctified the Israelites as a holy people set apart for Yahweh. Not eating the fruit in the tree showed self-discipline, the fact that Adam and Eve would obey God's commands. Food is not meant to be abused. In many ways, it's meant to be enjoyed, it's meant to be celebrated, but there needs to be self control. So if great acts of God's salvation are remembered with food, to refrain from eating, it implies something is wrong right now. For in not eating, we're disrupting the normal rhythms of life. Why did God create food for us to eat? Many commentators know the deeper level, it points to our complete reliance on him. So when we fast, we are in a sense saying, we are relying completely on you, God, to sustain me, to keep me going. As our stomachs start to growl, as hunger starts to take over, we so desperately are reminded, we need God for sustenance. For as the Lord Jesus Christ himself said during his 40-day fast, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Everything in this cosmos has been created as a result of the mouth of God, his spoken word. So when one fast. It points the worshipper to something greater, the one who we truly rely on, the word of God for sustenance. And while the lights in the sky and the position of the sun and the moon and the stars in the year reminded the Israelites of sacred times to worship in sacred feasts, there were also periods where they needed to be sacred fasts. And the only one prescribed, as was read to us earlier, comes from Leviticus chapter 23, from verse 26. On the day of Yom Kippur, 
or the Day of Atonement. And we read here, Yahweh said to Moses, the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to Yahweh. Do not do any work on that day because it is a day of atonement when atonement is made for you before Yahweh, your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. I will destroy from among you their people. Anyone who does any work on that day, you shall not do, you shall not work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. It is a, a day of Sabbath rest for you. You must deny yourselves from the evening on the ninth day of the month until the following evening you are to observe your Sabbath. In Leviticus 16, a few chapters, it's laid out all the requirements the high priest had to do in order to perform this complex ritual. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was the one day of the year where the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, symbolically the throne room of God on this earth. And it required the high priest to go through a series of cleansing, wearing special clothes, performing sacrifices, and symbolically laying his hand on a scapegoat, which represented the sins of the community. But here in Leviticus chapter 23, the implication is that the whole community is involved in this day of atonement process. And they did this by denying themselves. And to deny yourself was not just simply not eating food. It involved everything from wearing sackcloth, itchy, uncomfortable clothing, covering yourselves in ashes, not putting on oil so you smelt bad and refraining from sexual relationships. To deny yourself was an outward expression of distress. To suspend normal human sustaining activities. And what better time to do this than at the ceremony where you were reminded of the cost of human sinfulness. But this period of denial, this period of fasting, it's only meant to be temporary. For when the rituals are complete, once the people's sins are atoned for, they can enjoy a Sabbath rest. They can celebrate. See, the idea is the people would disrupt their lives for a period. They would be disciplined for a time. They would deny themselves. But the goal was for a greater Restoration. When one fasts, they are uprooting their normal life because something is wrong. But the goal of fasting is not just to fast forever, to remain in that perpetual state of disruption, but to find restoration and hope. And while Yom Kippur is the only day legislated for the Israelites to fast, in the calendar. There are periods throughout the Bible where people would fast in moments of distress, sin, sadness, injustice, or death. And they would turn to God through fasting. And the, each time the person fasted in the Old Testament, the goal was to change their present 
situation. And the Bible's full of examples. We don't have time to go through them all. But for example, in Judges, we see the Israelites fasting when they lose a battle. We see in 1 Samuel, the Israelites fasting when a king or a leader dies. In the book of Jeremiah, the people fast when there is a drought going on. In the book of Joel, when there's a locust plague. In the book of Job, when Job is going through intense personal suffering, he fasts. King David fasted in Psalm 42. Or Hannah, the mother of Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel, she fasts for that extended period in order to fall pregnant. Finally, Queen Esther, when the edict to eradicate the Jewish nation was proclaimed, she called a three-day fast. The idea was there was something terrible happening. We're going to stop eating in order for there to be a situational change. But one of the most important fasts, apart from Jesus' fast in the wilderness, comes from Moses. Moses went up into Mount Sinai and he refrained from eating and drinking for 40 days because of the sin of the Israelites. Interesting, Moses just doesn't just do this once. They suspect he did this three times based on those passages there from Deuteronomy 9. And 10. Now, to go 40 days without food, that's not impossible. But to go 40 days without water, that is a miracle. And the idea is that Moses in that mountain was so close to the one who gives life that he was completely and utterly sustained, supernaturally. The idea is it's pointing back. When Moses is there with God's presence, he has all that he needs. Just as the breath of God gives us life, so God was able to give life to Moses for 40 days without food and water. Not just once, but three times. As Deuteronomy 9.18 there just highlights vividly, he did this because of the sinfulness of the Israelites, did it because they had committed the act of building the golden calf. And Moses is so distraught, he does not want God to wipe them out. Friends, that's what fasting is for. It's there to recognize that there is something wrong and that by fasting, by disrupting the normal routines of life, I want God to bring a change in my situation. But fasting's not always negative. As we know, the Lord Jesus Christ himself fasted for 40 days. Well, the book of Luke also tells us the prophetess Anna fasted as an act of worship in the temple. While Paul and Barnabas, they prayed and fasted before appointing elders in the church. Even for the positive reasons to fast, the idea was it was trying to elicit a change. The idea is to get God to change a situation, to guide insights into life. Many have pointed out that during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, when you fast, do not act like the hypocrites. Not if you fast, when you fast. The implication is that as Christians, we are going to fast throughout life. 
Now, fasting is not uniquely Christian, nor is it uniquely Jewish. It's practiced by all religions. And it's even used non-religiously as a way to promote health benefits. One of the ways of fasting is it does teach us self-discipline in the middle of a difficult or uncertain situation. As Richard Foster says in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. Now, amongst contemporary Christians, there's debate over what Christian fasting now constitutes. Some firmly believe fasting can only be done properly when one abstains from food or water. Others promote that they can fast from Facebook or comfort or whatever. But regardless of your stance, whether you see fasting as just fasting from food or just fasting from social media, technology, or the luxuries of life. What fasting does do is it reveals the things that control us. When we remove ourselves from eating or remove ourselves from a certain situation that does control us, it helps to focus upon God. It helps to encourage our self-discipline. See, self-discipline, to recognize that in a terrible situation, the only way my problems can be resolved is if God brings about a restoration. And while the idea of self-discipline and rules seems restrictive to our lives, as psychologist Jordan Peterson notes in the incident with the golden calf, it reminds us that without rules, we become slaves to our passions. And there's actually nothing freeing about that at all. Fasting, biblical fasting, it's an antidote to the hedonism, to the happiness and the feel-good goals our society promotes. And as Peterson also says, the pursuit of happiness is a pointless goal. As Christians, we're called to pursue holiness. And holiness requires self-control and Discipline. And that is an ongoing battle. That's an ongoing battle that we're all going to experience until we go into glory. But fasting is an avenue for us to pursue that self-discipline. Fasting in no way diminishes the goodness of food. It does not diminish that it's a wonderful gift for us. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus Christ's ministry revolved around food. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He turned water into wine. He miraculously fed the crowds. He also gave his disciples one of the most important meals for us as Christians, communion or the Lord's Supper. Nevertheless, as we know, Jesus began his public ministry by fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. And that not only prepared him for what was to come, but also enabled him to resist temptation, nor to succumb to the fallenness of humanity. And while Jesus 
told John's disciples and the Pharisees the reason that his followers do not fast was because he, as the bridegroom, was with them. When the bridegroom was taken away, then they can fast. Fasting's for a time of mourning. But with Jesus' presence with his disciples, it was not the time of mourning. And whilst Jesus' presence is still with us now through the Holy Spirit, with his departure back to heaven, while he sits on that heavenly throne, and we wait for heaven and earth to be reunited, we can now fast as a way to encourage God's kingdom to come for his will to be done in our life. That means there's going to be periods of mourning in our life where we're going to abstain from food. There are going to be moments where we need to repent. And we can do that through fasting. There'll be moments of confession. There'll be moments of fasting for injustice, for God to bring restitution to a certain situation. And like prayer, there is a plethora of methodologies out there to fast. The early church, for instance, told them that they needed to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. The early church also prescribed fasting before baptism. The Roman Catholic Church prescribed certain foods that could and could not be eaten on certain days. During the month of Lent, some Christians will fast for 40 days. Others will feel called to fast or abstain from certain things. Some will fast a whole day. Some will fast a half day. Some will fast from food. Some will fast from both food and water. There are so many ways for us to fast. But the thing is, we cannot use fasting as a tool to manipulate God. This was one of the dangers I used to do when I used to fast. I think, well, now my prayers are worth double because I'm fasting. I see, we cannot use it as a way to manipulate God. When we fast, ultimately we're doing it as an expression for our love for God, for our dependence upon Him, to acknowledge that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And by fasting, we are aligning ourselves with what God wants. He wants us to give up our normal routine, to perhaps pray for a besetting sin, to pray for the injustice in this world, to remember the hungry, the lonely, the broken and vulnerable. And every time we fast, we should do it properly to be reminded of the one who gives life, who is the sustainer of all things. For friends, we do not live of bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you for listening to the Heartbeat Church podcast. For more information about services, ministries and sermons, visit heartbeatchurch.org.au.